All right, Shabbat Shalom. We are in scroll one still, but this is exciting as we transition now. We're going to be moving through the um, latter part of the first scroll. It was a very powerful, powerful prophetic message. And as it unravels here, let's start in what's called in the Masoretic text Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 10, but we're still within the first scroll. Let me read it to you, and we'll get right into this exciting message as Ezekiel delivers this now to the exiles out there by the river Chebar. This says the master Yahuwah, this burden concerns the leaders in Jerusalem and all the house of Israel that are amongst them. Say, I am your sign. Like I have done, so shall it be done to you. You shall be removed and go into exile. And the leader that is among them shall bear his baggage upon his shoulders in the twilight and shall go out. He shall dig through the wall to carry them out through it and he shall cover his face that he not see the land with his eyes. My net also will I spread upon him, and he shall be taken in my trap, and I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans. Yet shall he not see it, though he shall die there. Of course, we're on the other side of the prophecy, and we know that this relates to Zedekiah. But at the time, think of this. He still had his vision. He still was in the city of Jerusalem. He did not yet know what was about to happen to him. This is most descriptive of, of course, the poor fate of Zedekiah, the king of Israel. And upon this king, upon this prince, the burden of this prophecy really tells us of Zedekiah's sad end. What a sad end he had. We have to be very careful as we look at these words of the prophet today and we understand that prophecy, scripture, delivered by the prophets of old, isn't stuck in a time segment but actually carries through to each successive generation that Yahweh wants to speak to. If we don't understand that, we're not understanding Bible prophecy and the purpose of the prophets from Moses all the way forward. Isaiah the prophet says that I declare to you the end from the beginning. So when we read through this, we have to understand it. Yes, the language, the culture, and the context, but we have to have the eyes to see, to see what the prophet's vision is for your and my day. Are you with me in understanding on that? Because as I read through this, there is a very important message for us today. As we look out at this global community, we see what's happening with the leaders, not only on a national, but on a geopolitical level. And it really does affect our lives. And I believe the prophet Ezekiel has words of admonition and encouragement for those saints that have the ears to to hear and the eyes to see. Because we have to be very careful. 
Think about how the people, the community, those in Jerusalem were with their view and vision of Zedekiah, his government, his kingship, his leadership. We have to be careful not to become complacent and put our trust in those who rule over us. Because we are living in a time where the secular consciousness of this country in particular has got has put its whole trust in the government system they don't want to work they don't want to get educated because they have put their whole trust financial spiritual in what the established status quo form of leadership and government our college campuses are funded by those governments also. So we understand that it's a system of trust that is what? Set up from the leadership all the way down to the peasant. And we can see within the days of Ezekiel, the people had literally abandoned all personal responsibility with their relationship toward the Creator, and they had put their trust in the government of Zedekiah. And what happened to them? There was a whole segment of that society, as there's a whole segment of this society today that's done the same thing. And eventually, it will lead to slavery and abandonment in the exile. And can you see how our system of government that has infiltrated our educational system from schools all the way up to college actually leads the people into a form of what? Slavery. The people that build, that create businesses are actually not supported by Zedekiah and his government because they create what? Freedom and independent wealth. And we see it more and more and more today. How businesses are literally locked down and oppressed by the government of Zedekiah's day. And we can see how that relates forward into our time. So we have to be conscious and not just go along with whatever structure, secularly, that is in place. Because this was a secular structure. Zedekiah had abandoned his spirituality. He was blind to the things of Yahuwah that eventually were then manifest into his life. So those of us that are in the educational, um, inf- we have educational influence, or our children, our grandchildren are entering into those halls of study, we have to be very, very careful. You as parents have to be very, very careful, grandparents, of the work and diligence that you have done does not get undone by the educational halls of liberality and the Zedekiah influence that those children are about to go into. It is perilous and dangerous, and you cannot sit by and do nothing. You still must communicate and speak into the youth's life, because otherwise, if you don't, 
than the professors will, and they are sending the message of Zedekiah, blindness to the things of Elohim. They will literally, even if you send them to Christian colleges, you will find that many of those Christian colleges have embraced a secular um, worldview when it comes to Scripture. Even the Scripture, they have intellectualized that, the faith out of it. We live in perilous, perilous times. Beware of that. Look what it says in verse 12. He covered his face. Why? Why? That he might not be known. That Zedekiah might not be discovered. They didn't, he didn't want to know, um, people to know who he was. He was afraid through fear that he might be betrayed, be betrayed excuse me, by those that were around him. And that the enemy would take him captive. Look at verse 13. My net also will I spread upon him. And he shall be taken into my trap. Now there was a cave which reached from Zedekiah's house. All the way down into the plains of Jericho. And that's the way he fled. He fled and literally punched through a wall in his garden and fled from his house all the way down into the plains of Jericho. And history supports the literal rendering of this text, net and trap. Look at the words, net and trap. Because history records for us that Yahweh prepared a deer which went upon the top of the cave and the Chaldeans started to track the deer and hunt the deer and the deer actually led them to the mouth of the cave as Zedekiah and his army were leaving Jerusalem. And it was literally the deer that led them to the trap. And therefore history actually recounts how this text is literal in its rendering, which I find quite amazing. Look at chapter 12, verse 14. I shall scatter them among the nations and disperse them in the countries, but I will let a few men of theirs escape from the sword, from the famine, and from the pestilence, that they may confess all their abominations among the Gentiles where they will go, and they shall know that I am Yahuwah. Chapter 12 of Ezekiel, verse 17. Moreover, the word of Yahuwah came to me saying, Son of man, eat your bread with quaking and drink your water with trembling and with anxiety. Of course, this refers to a small remnant that actually remained in Jerusalem with Yohanan, the son of Keriah. They later didn't heed the words of the prophet Jeremiah. Remember, Jeremiah speaks about many of the things that Ezekiel speaks about. They were actually contemporaries one of another in that same time. And Jeremiah had given the message to stay in the land, but they didn't heed the words of Jeremiah. And they thought, you know, let's make an alliance and flee and get help from the Egyptians. But that did not work out too well for them. But they did. They actually fell by the sword of Nebuchadnezzar there in Egypt. Egypt. Jeremiah chapters 42 and 43 is a good place for you to read the corresponding text right here. But this is not the time for us today either to be going and making alliances with the world. 
How many times are you seeing that more and more? People that you walk with in the faith community that have become more and more secularized, making more alliances with the world. As we're pressing in deeper, it gets harder for us. The faith is a lot harder now than it was 20 years ago, for sure and for certain. For sure and for certain. It's very hard. And you find, and I come across people all the time. I just spoke with another gentleman just a few days ago. And another one bites the dust. Believers that have become more and more secularized, going back and making alliances with the world because it becomes harder and harder to be that light, that beacon, when there is so much against us. But we have to stand together. This is not the time. That wasn't the time to try and make an alliance with Egypt. You might think it's going to work, but eventually you will fall by the sword just as they did back then in the days of Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Look at verse 22. Son of man, what is that proverb that you have in the land of Israel saying, the days are delayed and every vision fails? Tell them, therefore, this says the master Yahuwah, I will make this proverb to cease, and they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel. But say to them, the days are at hand, the matter of every vision, for there shall no more be any vain vision, nor flattering divination inside the house of Israel." I like what the Syriac version says in verse 24. It says a doubtful prediction. But even better is the Septuagint. The Septuagint version of verse 24 says, He that divines for grace. That really epitomizes our day and age, doesn't it? He that divines for grace. Don't we live in a time just like that? Don't we? Teachers teaching for grace in order to ingratiate themselves to the people, to build these ever-bigging, big and expanding congregations. Why? Because they're just looking to gain the goodwill of the congregants to get more money. They are diviners of what? Smooth things. Well, what do the people want to hear? Let me be a diviner of smooth things. Let me flatter, flatter the people Give them the things that they want to hear that's going to make them feel comfortable so they can go back to work during the week and come back again next Sunday. And I think many of us came out of that and said, enough is enough. What does the word say? It's a powerful message in a day and age when we need to hear powerful messages, not to be ingratiated with smooth words. I mean, with so many videos and so many teachings out there at our disposal, it does become harder and harder today to find Bible teaching that doesn't have its origins in lying prophecies and the prophesying of smooth things everywhere. But realize, realize this, when prophecies of the true prophets and prophecies of true teachers are accomplished, and they will be accomplished in these days, then the false ones will what? Instantaneously be rejected because their purposes will be exposed and no more will people tune into them. There'll be no more a reception of them and we are on the verge of a spiritual purge. We have to be. We have to be. 
And the moment people wake up to it, then there is going to be an awakening to truth and righteousness. And then the contrast of that is people will go into a deeper, darker spirituality, those that reject the words of Yahuwah, just like Zedekiah, and end up literally blind, blinded. Look at verse 28 of chapter 12. Therefore say to them, this says the master Yahuwah, none of my words will be delayed anymore, but the word that I have spoken shall be done, says the master Yahuwah. And in Ezekiel chapter 13, and the word of Yahuwah came to me saying, son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel that prophesy and say to them that prophesy out of their own hearts. Hear the word of Yahuwah. This says the master Yahuwah, woe to the foolish prophets that follow their own spirit and they have seen nothing. Nothing. A person today that just follows after spiritisms and this spirit and that spirit. Follow after the word of Yahuwah and test all things. Test all things. And then on the other hand, there are so many today that are so tired spiritually. And a person who's too tired, too exhausted, or too comfortable with life to pursue knowledge and understanding is a foolish person according to the scripture. O Israel, verse 4, your prophets are like foxes in the deserts. You have not gone up into the gaps, neither built a wall of protection. I think of the hard work of teaching the message, teaching the Torah, teaching the truth, the feasts, the festivals, and all the things that we have been going through. And it is a hard message. But you know what? It's standing or laying in the breach, standing in the gap and filling up the holes that we were not taught. It's, there's been a lot of work of putting bricks back into the wall. The first brick that I put back into the wall was the Sabbath. Then, you know, and eventually you start to construct the faith that was once delivered to the saints. But the hardest brick of all was picking up the first one. Because when you started to reach for it, people are like, oh, no, you don't want to go there. Oh, you don't want to go there. You start picking and reaching for that brick, and you can't come in here anymore. And I started to reach for the brick of the Sabbath, and I picked it up, and then I placed it in the wall. And then the next brick, it became a little bit easier to pick up and place in the wall. But that's what we're supposed to be doing in these days. We're supposed to be building a wall for our protection. And you may be now, oh, my arms are aching, my shoulder and my back hurt. Well, yes, but you'll be recipients of the blessing when everything comes tumbling down. And Yahuwah, through his word, through truth and righteousness, has built up a wall of protection around you and your families. Don't you see that? I see that with my children. I see it for sure. And you know what? My back hurts. My shoulders are sore. I've been doing this a long time. And it seems a long time ago that I first picked up that brick of the Sabbath. And the consequences of it was you can't come here anymore. And you can't teach this Bible study anymore. 
There are consequences, and we've all felt the consequences, but the blessing is so much richer, and it goes down to the successive generations. And when the tribulation comes, you will find that Yahweh has actually built up a wall of protection around you because of the work that he is doing in you now. So don't give up hope. Understand that there is an end goal to all of this, and we can see it through the prophecies of the prophet. It's amazing. Build a wall of protection like animals, like animals, dogs who scurry away from danger. These little foxes would sneak through the ruined part of the fence and destroy the whole vines. And Israel is the vineyard of Yahuwah. And these little false pastors that we've all been listening to for generations, they have literally snuck through the holes, the massive gaps in theology and what? devoured the house of Israel. And now we're starting to fill those blocks up with true Bible teaching, and we are getting the results that Yahweh wants for this generation. But the foxes are the false teachers. They're the false prophets who enter the weak minds of Israel because we know that Yahweh's vineyard is Israel and that destroy the minds of the people. It's called biblical illiteracy because you love tradition more than you love truth. All of those traditions, all those church traditions that are so easy that you can just go along with the smooth words. No, that's called biblical illiteracy and not facing your responsibilities as a believer. And because there's enough people doing that, you think that you can get away with it. But there's going to come a time when we're all going to stand before the Creator and be held accountable for what the Ruach, the Spirit, has shown us. For what the Spirit has shown us. Now, in contrast, believers, like true prophets, we are called to live as ones who stand in the gap. The Hebrew word there is peretz. You may be familiar with that. Peretz, one who stands in the gap for their brothers. That's what we are. We're to be the peretz. Peretz who stands in the gap. Psalm 106, verse 23, it is written, Therefore he said that he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen, stood before him in the gap, in the parets, to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. So that's the role of Moses, to stand in the gap, to be the Peretz. And that's your and I responsibility in our generation. We are to stand in the gap and declare the words of Moses to a generation that is literally listening to smooth words of false teachers. And that's what you're doing. You start talking about Moses and people go, oh, you, 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 you don't want to go back under the law you're like, no, I'm, I'm talking about Moses, you know, the one that delivers the Ten Commandments. Oh, no, well, yeah, we don't do the Ten Commandments anymore. That's got the Sabbath in it. And that's re- so now we don't even believe in the Ten Commandments, apparently. 
We can spiritualize, well, they're the ten principles. They're principles. I remember that at Calvary Chapel. These are the ten principles. I'm like, okay, now, okay, I hear what you're saying. Now, show me the verse where it changes from a commandment to a principle, and I guess I'll sign right on. But there is no verse where Yahweh's commandments turn into principles. That is smooth words of false prophets. And that is what the world has succumbed to. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one Elohim and one mediator. There's only one now who has enabled us, and that is Yahushua, who has what? Become the Peretz, the one who stood in the gap between Elohim and men the man, Moshiach, Yahushua. That is First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Yahushua is the um, ultimate Peretz, the one that stands in the gap. So just as foxes avoid inhabited places because they're afraid of man, so too the false prophets in the days of David and Solomon, there were none to be found. Why? Because Israel was spiritually and militarily mature. And the false prophets have got nowhere to hide. In those days, there was nowhere to hide because Israel was spiritually and militarily mature. And we're supposed to be the army of Yahuwah. We're supposed to be spiritually and militarily mature. And when that happens, then False teachers and those with smooth words, they cannot be in our presence because they will become what? Exposed. Do you know how many pastors want to sit down and talk to me about the faith? Youth pastors? Or oh, the word spread quite quickly. You don't want to talk to, because, you know, I can go downtown and talk to the people on the side of the streets. You know, there'll be maybe the Jehovah's Witness. And all of a sudden, they get all defensive when I say, well, it can't be Jehovah, right? Because the letter J was invented in 1532. So we know. (laughs) Don't want to know the truth because it's exposed so quickly with biblical literacy and having the faith that once delivered to the saints. So... False prophets cannot be around those that are spiritually and militarily strong. You are, and I am, the army of Yahweh in these days. It's only when the nation's consciousness nationally deteriorates and spiritually becomes corrupted that these false teachers and these imposters can flock to your houses and take advantage of you and take advantage of the natural desire of man to seek out good news. You know how many people have come to me and said, well, can't you make the sermons a little bit more good news? All this doom and gloom. Well, there's enough of that out there, right? Just tune in. It's all good news. Well, I'd rather be prepared I'd rather be prepared for what the Bible says is coming. And that means that we wake up and get prepared now and start practicing the things that Yahuwah has for his end-time remnant army. National consciousness is deteriorating spiritually all around us. And as believers, we need to what? We need to stand in the breach. 
We need to be the Peretz. We need to ascend and stand in the breach just like Moses did. Just like Yahusha did. Because when the believing community is in danger, Yahusha stood in the gap. The Peretz. And he actually capitalizes on this. Turn with me to um, John chapter 10. Yahusha capitalizes on this national consciousness. Remember... Ezekiel had delivered this message to a wide, wide audience about the foxes coming up, the holes in the walls, and the breach not being holed up. And so Yahushua now, several hundred years later, he capitalizes on the words of Ezekiel, and he speaks it to the community that is not under the hammer of the Babylonians, but is actually under the hammer of the Romans. But they're going to end up with the same consequence. The walls are going to get hot. Jerusalem's going to get burnt. And you're going to go into exile and become spiritually blind. Because you didn't listen to the prophets beforehand. And you actually won't even listen to me. You'll end up crucifying me. So, this is what Yahushua does. He capitalizes on Israel's history in John chapter 10, verse 1, where he sees that the believing community, they are in peril, not from the Babylonians, but from the Romans. And he capitalizes upon it by the writing of the prophets, and then he contrasts it. Look at this. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter into the sheepfold by the door, but going up by another way, that one is a thief and a robber. They're a false prophet. They're a false teacher. They're thieves. They're robbers. They're robbers of the souls. They're robbers of the minds of Israel. But they did not understand what it was that he spoke to them. Just like they didn't understand in the days of Ezekiel, right? They didn't understand in the days of Jeremiah either, did they? Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What does that mean? He lays in the breach in the walls to prevent the false teachers from coming in. He literally becomes the door because those little foxes, the false teachers and the false prophets, they look for a way in. But the good shepherd, those that follow the good shepherd in the last days, will literally cover the breaches in doctrine. They will cover the false theology up with truth. I am the way, the truth, and the light. And that's what we're doing. And we get hammered for it because you're upsetting the smooth words of the false teachers you're actually upsetting the smooth words of the false teachers and they'll try and enter in through another way and that's why you all have the responsibility of laying down your lives in the breach But we have to vocalize spiritual truth in these end days. We can't clam up. We have to speak it in our communities to those that we come into contact with because they are hearing smooth words everywhere. In college, at work, in the churches, on YouTube, 
And it's very few and far between that true prophets and true teachers are speaking biblical truth. And those that do have a remnant flock that understand it. And we're all getting hammered. Because you started picking up bricks like Sabbath, the feasts, eating what is clean and proper, and living holy, sanctified lives in a sick and twisted world. But he who is a hireling and not the shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. When the tribulation comes, do you think, and the, and the false rapture does not occur, do you think that these pastors will stick around? Do you think? Or will they just literally run and be devoured in the tribulation? And then who's going to be there? You, me, to stand in the breach. So this is preparation for the very days of your life that have not yet come upon you. But when they do, you'll know what to do. You have to believe that your life and my life have a huge purpose in the goal and equation of Yahweh's time. Because he's outside of time. And we only see through a glass dimly but he has a plan and a purpose, so therefore endure. Nebuchadnezzar, in our account, is of course the wolf from which the foxes are fleeing. Those false prophets, they were fleeing to Egypt. Nebuchadnezzar was the wolf from which the foxes are fleeing, leaving the breaches in the wall open so that Nebuchadnezzar could just march right on in to the vineyard of Israel from which the foxes were running amongst the vines, and then Israel became scattered in Babylon for 70 years. Yahushua is telling us in John chapter 10, Israel's history, and few even then could make the connection, and fewer even now. Verse 13 of John chapter 10 says this, the hireling flees because he is a hireling, and he does not care for the sheep. And I have other sheep who are not of this fold. I must also lead those, and they shall hear my voice, Shema. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. This is the restoration of all Israel under the Malkit Zedek, the one new man. And if you want to see the consequences of the little foxes, read Nehemiah chapter 3. It's... Uh, it's an awakening to those false teachers, those false prophets. Look at chapter 13, verse 8 of our text, Ezekiel. Therefore, this says the Master Yahuwah, because you have spoken vanity and seen lies, therefore see, I am against you, says the Master Yahuwah, and they, my hand, shall be upon the prophets that see vanity." That divine lies, they shall not be in the congregation of my people. Verse 10. Because they have seduced my people, saying, Shalom. And there was no shalom. And one built up a wall, while others coat it with whitewash. Say to them who coat it with whitewash, that it shall fall. 
There shall be an overflowing shower, and you, O great hailstones, shall fall, and a stormy wind shall in fact tear it down. See, when the wall is fallen, shall it not be said to you, Where is the coating with which you were coated? Therefore this says the master Yahuwah, I will even tear it with a stormy wind in my anger, and there shall be an overflowing shower in my anger and great hailstones in my anger to consume it. Verse 14. So will I break down the wall that you have coated with untempered mortar and bring it down to the ground so that the foundation of it shall be uncovered. And it shall fall, and you shall be consumed in the midst of it. And you shall know that I am Yahuwah. But this will I accomplish, my anger upon the wall, and upon them that have coated it with whitewash. And I will say to you, the wall is no more. Neither they that coated it. Verse 16. Such are the prophets of Israel who prophesy concerning Jerusalem and who see visions of shalom for her, and there is no shalom, says the Master Yahweh. The people here are like unto those who build a weak partition, and their prophets, what do they do? They start smearing it with plaster. But that plaster has no cohesion. It will not stay. So they build this weak partition, the people do, and then the false teachers come along and they start to smear it with a weak plaster. And that's exactly what our congregations are full of today. What do the people want? They construct this false wall of theology that is conducive to their secular lives, but they still want to be identified as believers, but they don't really want to do what it takes to be a believer. So they construct a flimsy wall that is conducive to their flimsy secular lives. So they would never say they're secular. And then they go around and find false teachers that would be willing to wattle and daub their structure so that they can come in every Sunday and feel, oh yes, I'm a believer. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But you and I can come along and kick right through it so simply the whole structure comes collapsing down. You start pulling the bricks of the false teaching out and the whole thing it just the infrastructure collapses and it's a powder of dust and then you're the bad guy that kicked down the wall ostracized from your communities ostracized many of you from your family you're the bad guy you're the one who's got the powder all over your clothing it must be you But you just have the vision to see and the courage to do what needs to be done in these days. You have to for the sake of the sheep. Don't you see it? We are living these days right now. Right now the people 
are like unto those who build a weak partition and the false pastors smear it with a plaster-like earth. But it's not real plaster. It doesn't add any strength. The prophets and the pastors construct a makeshift wall to look sturdy, but it washes off with the first rain, with the first sign of trouble. And you guys, you're just a bunch of trouble. You read the Bible too much, you pray too much, you take this stuff way too literally, right? That's what I... Got your head in the clouds, Matthew. You know, it's not, you don't need to be quite like that. But we do. Our society, our society is devoid of inner value. Of inner value. And if our society is devoid of inner value, how can it sustain itself? How can it stand? How can it stand? False teachers reinforce fantasy. And they're paid to do it. To reinforce fantasy by lulling people into a false sense of religious security. It's more daub than plaster. It's inferior plaster on weak walls. And they're aiming it at our college campuses. And that's what's terrifying to me. Because we've got to help the next generation. And our college campuses are the areas that they are wattle and daubing with more false teaching. Even the Christian college campuses... They're not like the Christian college campuses of the 50s and the 60s. It's changed dramatically, dramatically. Even when I go back to England, and I was, I was raised in a, a secular school, but it was a Church of England school. We had basic Bible teaching, but even that has been infiltrated. It's everywhere. We have got to wake up. Look at verse 17. Likewise, son of man, yes, set your face against the daughters of your people. Our chin, our face needs to be like flint. No matter what, we just set our face against the false teaching who prophesy out of their own heart and prophesy against them. Look at verse 17 carefully. We'll finish up with this. Likewise, son of man, set your face against the daughters of your people who prophesy out of their own heart and prophesy against them. Did you catch it? The Hebrew word there is ameth, ameth. It's spelt with an ayin, mem, faith, so feet. Your people. Your people. Ein, mem, faith, so feet. Amaith. Now, this expression, amaith, it only ever, ever appears in the book of Ezekiel. You'll find it nowhere else in the whole Bible. It appears only in the book of Ezekiel. So what does it mean, and what is the connotation? What is Yahweh trying to communicate to us? 
Because there is one place, one, just one other place in the Torah where the inflection of the noun am and ayin mem originates. And you'll find it in Exodus chapter 32. In the account of the golden calf. Because this word originates with the tension, the tension in relationship between man and his creator. And we are living in a time when there is more tension between man and his creator to the base level. Sexual immorality and perversion is abounding. And that is the worst kind of sin because it is against the creator. When you start to deny your creator, that is, that, that is, what, that is such a base, base sin. And it, it, the Bible tells us it's a sin against your, your very self. You're actually wounding yourself when you go against how you were created. And now we see this tension has its origin back in Exodus chapter 32, verse 7. You can turn there if you'd like, and we'll tie this in with Ezekiel verse 17. Exodus chapter 32, verse 7. Remember, the word actually only appears in the book of Ezekiel. It's the word your people, and it is ameph. But it's got the ayin mem which we're now going to connect back to Exodus 32. The Ein Mem, but in Ezekiel, it's actually the Ein Mem Fesofit, which gives us the Hebrew word, not Am, but Ameth, your people. And Yahweh said to Moshe, go, get down for your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt are corrupted. Well, hang on a minute, Yahweh. I thought they were your people, and you brought them out. You, you're the one that... Part- Moses didn't part the Red Sea. No, 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 no. Moses, they're your people. You're the one that brought them out of Egypt. This is what the Father's saying. There's a huge tension in relationship here. Huge tension in relationship that the prophet understands. And that's what I love about the scripture. These tiny little things that are actually huge. That the prophets key in on. That Yahusha keys in on. That you and I, if we're awake and alert, we can key on. And there's, the profundity of it just excites me. And Yahusha uses the history of Israel so many times in these little parables and tales. That if you don't have the eyes to straight up. But if, if you understand, it really hits you. It really hits you. And this is one of those that really hits me because he says, get down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt. They're totally corrupted. Yahweh is excluding himself. He's excluding himself. Moses, they're your people. They're not mine. They are totally unworthy of my divine mercy. That's what he's saying. That's what Yahweh is saying. Because of the enormity of their sin, 
at the golden calf. They are totally unworthy of my divine mercy. They have just broken the book of the covenant. They are totally unworthy of my divine mercy. So Yahweh excludes himself from them. And he says, you can have them. But now look at verse 11 of chapter 32 in Exodus, and this is what Moses does. He says, And Moses prayed to Yahweh his Elohim and said, Yahweh, why does your wrath become hot waxed against your people? Now he's throwing it back at Yahweh. Why does your wrath become hot waxed against your people whom you have brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? It's kind of cheeky, isn't it? Can you imagine? He is. He's kind of being cheeky to Yahweh. I'm surprised that he didn't get... But this is the relationship that you and I can have with the Father through Yahushua, the one who is the Peretz that lays down in the breach. Through prayer and supplication, we have the honor and privilege to be able to communicate to the Father under his abounding mercy. And he literally loves to hear from us this way. This is an honor and a privilege. And we have that privilege, not through our own works, but because of Yahushua, who literally laid down and became the Peretz, that you and I would be within that wall. This is an honor. And now Moses works with the text, and the prophet expands upon it. Moses now uses the very term to emphasize that the nation, including himself, well, we are your chosen people. And we seek your forgiveness. We seek your forgiveness. Look at verse 13. Excuse me, verse 14. Chapter 32 of Exodus, verse 14. And Yahweh repented as to the evil which he spoke of doing to his people. His people. This is restoration. This is full biblical reconciliation and restoration. Your people becomes his people only through prayer and petition. That's it. That's the only way. Your people becomes his people through prayer and petition. And that's the life that we have been bestowed with through the great sacrifice of his son. Yahweh is directing the prophet Ezekiel back to the book of the covenant breach. Can you see it? He's directing the prophet Ezekiel back to the book of the covenant breach where Yahweh relented from seeing Israel as your people deserving of divine wrath. And in his mercy, he put them under the book of the law, didn't he? He put them in Exodus 32 under the book of the law. And instead of destroying them, his mercy said, okay, instead of you being a nation of priests, I am going to put a Levitical priest over the nation. Now we fast forward and those priests have actually found themselves in the inner temple worshiping Tammuz. What have they done with his mercy? You see, the prophet Ezekiel is exposing it all. 
Let's take these priests back to the origin of where this your people, my people business comes from. He gave you an option and a blessing. And he said, I won't annihilate you for the golden calf breach. I'll actually put a priest, a high priest over the nation. And I'll take you and place you under the book of the law. But now those 24 courses of the priest and the high priest and now worshipping Tammuz they've despised the very schoolmaster the book of the law so now Yahweh says well I will not relent I will not relent I will not call them my people and he will now send them into exile they are not his people That's it. They are not my people. I'm now going to send them into exile to serve their idols in a foreign land. His mercy has waxed thin, has it not? This is what the prophet Ezekiel understands, which is why the only option left to us is the final option. Because Yahweh's mercy has waxed so thin that he comes up with the final option. Matthew chapter 2, verse 6. And thou, listen to the language. And thou, Bethlehem. In the land of Judah, art not thy least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people, Israel. Wow. Do you see the whole, do you see everything that he's showing us? Just through us having the ears to see. Ears to hear. And the eyes to see. (laughs) My ears can see you. That was a linism if I ever heard of it. (laughs) How did Israel ever become his people again? Look at Romans chapter 9 verse 25. This is how. How did Israel ever become his people again? How could they ever come back from Ezekiel? Romans chapter 9 verse 25. And he saith also in Hosea, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved, And it shall come to pass that in the place where it is said unto them, Ye are not my people, there they shall be called the children of the living Elohim. And there's a dedicated phrase in scripture right there. Benai Chai El. Benai Chai El. The children of the living Elohim. And now this connects and finally closes with John chapter 21. Turn there. Remember, we're threading this 
my people, not my people, now becoming my people. How did they become my people? Through the prophecy of the son that would be born in Bethlehem. And then we see that the fullness of this, not my people, now wax thin, becoming my people again, is because I sent them into exile. And from that place, they will become my people again. John chapter 21, they are called the children of the living Elohim, Benai Chai El, the dedicated phrase. And after this, Yahushua, this is after his resurrection, Yahushua showed himself to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he showed himself after this manner. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas, who is called Didymus, and Nathaniel, who was of Cana of Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee. We've got some great kids' names here. Anyone that's having a baby? Didymus. What's up, Didymus? Right? See, put that one. That could be on the baby list, Didymus. There's nothing wrong with that. Who was of Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I go a-fishing. They say to him, we also came with thee, and they went forth and entered into a boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was come, Yahushua stood on the shore. Yet the disciples knew not that it was Yahushua. And Yahushua therefore said to them, children, have ye any meat? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast I thy net on the right side of the boat, and you shall find... They cast therefore now, and they were able to draw it in. For the multitude of fishes, that disciple therefore whom Yahushua loved, said, said to Peter, It is the master. Simon Peter, when he heard that it was the master, he girded his coat about him, for he was naked, and cast himself into the sea. But the other disciples came into boat, For they were not far from the land, but it was 200 cubits, dragging the net with the fishes. As soon then as they came to the land, they saw hot coals a-lying, and fish there laid upon, and bread. And Yahushua saith unto them, Bring hither of the fishes which you have now caught. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of great fishes, one hundred and fifty-three. And although where there were so many, the net was not broken. A hundred and fifty-three fishes. The scripture is very clear on bringing that number forth to us. Because a hundred and fifty-three in Hebrew gematria equals the numerical value of a certain dedicated phrase that was well known to the children of Israel. And that dedicated phrase was, Ben Chai Elohim, the children of the living Elohim. From Hosea chapter 1, verse 10. A phrase that happened only once in Scripture before this time. And here's the great sign. Here's the great sign that Yahweh has poured out his mercy and he has shifted from his permissive will. His permissive will was what? They're your people. 
And now Yahweh, through his son, now resurrected. He prophesied it. We said in Matthew chapter 2 that they would become his people again, Israel. And now through the resurrection, he now is able to shift from his permissive will. Moses, they're your people. Through his mercy and the redemptive work of the resurrected son who appears right here on the coast, they are now his people in messianic finality. This is messianic finality. This is the life that you and I are recipients of. Never to go back to your people. Through this work, we live in this messianic finality. The great sign. The sign that the disciples were in fact about to go out to the nations and become fishers of men. They were supposed to go out and fish for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But there's a bunch of foxes that have gone up and they've wattle and daub full structures. But you and I can see their full structures. We can see it. And we have a message to go out and look and catch this big fish harvest of People in the last days cast the net of the Torah to the nations and you will actually be able to gather in all of the fish and the net, which is the Torah to the tribes, will not break. Even though it is filled with innumerable fish. This is huge for us. We are the recipients of this. But there is one final warning clause. My people. And it's right at the end of the Bible. And there is a warning clause. My people, a voice says from heaven, come out of her, my people that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. Most fitting, isn't it? Most fitting. Yahweh finishes the prophecy in the Bible by warning us not of Babylon through the prophet Ezekiel, but warning us of the trap and the snares of mystery Babylon through the prophet John. So we need to come out of her, my people. And that's what we're doing. And that is the messianic finality for our day. Through the prophet John, you have a choice to make. Will you remain the world's people, which means you're not his people, or will you come out of mystery Babylon, all the false teaching, all the false constructs and start to walk the way that you were created. And then you will deserve through the blood of Yahushua only to be recognized as his people, my people in true messianic finality. This section, when we start to look at it through the lens of scripture, comes powerfully alive, does it not? powerfully alive when we look and track the language all the way from the Torah 
through the prophets into the New Testament writings and finally into the apocalyptic revelation of John. He gives us the warning. We're not worried about Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. We should be concerned about mystery Babylon and the Antichrist and the last days that we live in. So this is true prophecy coming to us today in this day and age. Next week, we'll jump further into the text. But I hope this enabled us just to be able to see the the amazing, amazing technicalities of the Scripture truly can bring forth amazing revelation when we spend the time to um, work through the text. Any questions, comments in the back there at all? Let's close in prayer. Or, Or were you getting up? Father, we thank you, Abba, for the words of the prophet Ezekiel, that they would be powerful in these days, that we would leave changed, and that, Father, that you would bless us and keep us until we next come together as the saints in these days, that the words that we speak would be edifying and bring forth much fruit, much bounty, that we would go out and collect in a harvest of fish for you in the nations, in Yahushua's mighty name. Amen. Amen.